So I have a few connections with uh, St. Michael's and Grand Ledge here. Uh, Jim's called me a number of times for uh, confessions to help out here. Jim and I were uh, classmates. He was ordained in September. I was ordained the following June. So he's always claimed seniority over me. But I'm older than him, so I claim seniority over him when I get that chance. Uh, for anybody who was around when Father Joe Martinez was here, his first assignment was my home parish. So he's really the one that kind of started me on this thought of priesthood. And then Don Klein, the pastor of St. Gerard's, came after Joe. And uh, both of them were very valuable friends in my discernment role. And then when I was in the seminary, Father Bob McGraw was my vocation director. So I have many connections uh, to the parish out here. When you make that discernment, when you decide that this is what God has called you to do, it can be a little scary to think what's going on. I had uh, flunked out of college three different times. So when I went to the bishop and, you know, you have to be interviewed by him and the vocation director, I was very nervous driving over from Flint because I wasn't sure what he was going to say to me when I told him I had flunked out of college three different times. And he just kind of shook his head and, you know, he didn't really make a big deal out of it, but he said to me, now you know you have to go back to school, finish a college education, and then it's five years after that. So the time that I entered, I still had about eight years left of schooling. And I said, you know, Bishop, if the Lord wills it, if that's what I'm supposed to do, I will pray diligently and he will guide me through those experiences. And I had a wonderful experience in uh, St. Paul at St. John Vianney Seminary, where Jim went. He was the year before me and had a pretty good experience at uh, the seminary in Plymouth before it was closed, and then we were moved downtown to Sacred Heart for our last year. So all that time, I'm listening to the Lord and praying, and the thing that always sticks with me is be not afraid. Now, at the last two Masses, I've asked people, how many times do you think that particular passage has been spoken, some variation of it, in the sacred scriptures? Either fear not, be not afraid, do not fear. How many times would you think that is written in the sacred scriptures? See, somebody knows the answer. The deacon knew it last night. And I said to the people at the 830 Mass, now he knows the answer. People were guessing, oh, 500 times or whatever, but it is 365 times. One for every day of our life. If you remember that, if we remember that when we get up in the morning, God shows us and tells us he will always be with us when we witness the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we come here in the midst of all that's going on in our world, all that's going on in our country, with the violence and the racism and the hatred, with the pandemic over the world, God continues to say to us, be not afraid. So as we listen to our Lord and we listen to the prophet Jeremiah, who was surrounded by a whole bunch of people who wanted him killed, he tells us that in the first reading, I'm surrounded by all of these evil people. They want to stone me. They want to throw me away. And yet he had faith in God long before Jesus even came to earth. St. Paul in the second reading reminds the very early church that because they have been baptized, they will overcome that fear of death because Jesus overcame death by his resurrection. So he's letting that early church know 
be not afraid in spite of their persecution. Think of life in the Middle East or around the Mediterranean Sea some 2,000 years ago. I mean, we think we have it tough here, but 2,000 years ago, there was not a whole lot of fresh water in Israel. There still isn't. The Sea of Galilee. They were persecuted Christians. They were thrown into jail. They lived in utter poverty. There was a great expanse between the poor and the rich. The rich had power. Men had power. Women were seen simply as nothing, as children were as well. And yet, St. Paul, empowered by that Holy Spirit, showed people, through the message of Christ Jesus, all of us count. Jesus, in the gospel, showed the Father's love by how he treated everyone he encountered. He never chastised them. He only showed them God's love and healing and mercy and forgiveness. Whether it was the woman at the well, the man born blind, the man with leprosy, the woman with the hemorrhage, the woman who had just lost her son, he only speaks words of love and shows them his healing, his mercy and forgiveness. Last night I went over to uh, St. Thomas Aquinas in East Lansing. A friend of mine was finally received into the church. They held off their uh, Easter vigil until last night. Nineteen people received into the church. And so when we baptize someone, whether it's your child or whether you remember your own baptism, we're baptized into the fullness of Christ's life. We die with him in the waters of life and we rise a new creation. And so we are supposed to witness Christ as much as humanly possible before we get to the gates of the kingdom. We know in this world it's not easy to do. Christians are very much persecuted, Catholics especially. There is great hate on the internet for Catholic people. They totally don't get what we're about. And so we have to stand up for ourselves and be proud that we are Catholic Christians. We have to speak up for those in our community who are unable to speak for themselves. We have to stand up for those who cannot stand up. We have to speak for the migrant farmer or the refugee or the African-American or those persecuted in our world. We have to stand up and be Christ for them as well as witnesses to God's great gift of love. We are nourished in the Eucharist. When we celebrate the uh, sacrament of the sick, uh, if someone is able to take communion at their last moments, although you can celebrate the sacrament of the sick many times during your lifetime, it used to be called the last rites for those of you who are my age or older. When we give communion to someone, it's called viaticum, which literally means food for the journey. The church has always been called the pilgrim church because we are journeying together towards the kingdom of heaven. And we need that Eucharistic sustenance to help us be good and faithful witnesses to the gospel. So we come and we receive Holy Communion. We receive and drink and eat the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we can stand up for those who have no voice. We can fight against racism and evil and violence and hatred. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did the whole time he was here on earth. And look what happened. He died for us 
basically because he was persecuted by the Roman government and the hierarchy of his experience. They didn't want to hear love, mercy, and forgiveness. They didn't want to see any of his miracles of healing because he reached out to those whom their society said, you're an outcast, you're a throwaway person. We don't deal with you anymore. People were very upset that he did that. But God knew when he sent his son into the world that he would die for us. He would give his life for all of us, the persecuted, the unloved, the diseased, the sinner. He gave us that great gift of reconciliation. So in that second reading today, St. Paul reminds the early church and reminds us the gift is greater than the wrongness we have experienced. That gift of everlasting life has been given to us so that we may celebrate that on Sunday or each time we celebrate Mass. We're fed and nourished, and then the deacon will send us forth to be Christ to the world, to love one another, show mercy and forgiveness. Now we know that as human beings, we don't always do that. We are imperfect. And so when we don't, we come to reconciliation and we ask God, Please forgive me for the times that I have done this or for the times that I have not done this. For the times I didn't speak out for someone who was hurting. For the times that I told a racist joke or an improper word. God will always forgive us. God will always be there for us. So on this Father's Day Sunday, on this 12th Sunday of Ordinary Time, we pray not to be able to be afraid. I've told kids when they make their first communion or their first reconciliation, there's nothing to be afraid of when you come into the church. Even people that are nervous about going to confession, I say to them, there's nothing to be afraid of. When you come out of that confessional or that uh, uh, place of, of healing, you are a new person. You have been absolved of your sins by the grace of God's love. It's going to be a time of rejoicing doesn't mean you need to come out of the reconciliation room dancing, but it does mean you should have a free heart filled with love and mercy and forgiveness. So remember that in your morning prayer, even after you say you're our Father, you're Hail Mary, whatever prayers you use, remember that Jesus said to us a number of times, be not afraid. The angel said to Mary, fear not, for you have been called by God. We should not be afraid of the Lord or to witness the gospel message of Jesus. We are strengthened and empowered by this Eucharist, filled with that viaticum, food for the journey, so that when our journey ends, we stand at the gates of heaven and St. Peter welcomes us home to God's kingdom. God bless.